0: The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the word says this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Father, I pray this morning that those words would ring true in the heart of every individual gathered in this room, that we would understand our only hope is Jesus Christ. Minister life through your word this morning. Draw men and women, boys and girls to you. Change lives in this service by the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. J.B., will you turn these monitors down just a bit? Thank you. Years ago, one of our American submarines was sank off the eastern coast. Divers attempting a rescue, when they went down could hear it tapping on the side of that submarine, recognized it as Morris Code. The message that was being tapped out was this, is there any hope? Is there any hope? I believe that that's the question that's being asked for America today. Is there any hope for our nation? And for the future of our nation. President George Washington said it would be impossible to govern rightly without God and the Bible. President John Adams said it would be impossible to govern without God and the Ten Commandments. The Pilgrim Charter of 1620 states that its purpose was to advance the enlargement of Christianity to the glory of God Almighty. In 1632, when Maryland was charted as a colony, they wrote, We are motivated with pious zeal for extending the Christian religion. Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States, declared, The Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. God has blessed America for 239 years because we have been founded on the principles and the promises of the word of God. Don't let some secularist tell you anything different. Don't let some secularist tell you that America did not have a Christian spiritual beginning. America, in fact, was born out of revival. Today, for the next few moments, we're going to hear from a few of those great men who laid the foundation for our country firmly on the Word of God. First, let's hear from Patrick Henry cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of the faith have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Benjamin Franklin. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, we were, we were sensible of danger. We had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, we heard, and they were graciously answered. I have lived a long time and a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? I therefore beg to leave, to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings in our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning and that and that one or more of the clergy of the city be requested to officiate in that service and george washington the blessing and protection of heaven are at all, are at all times necessary but especially in times of public distress and danger the general hopes and trusts that every officer and man will endeavor to live and act as he becomes a Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of the mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British as traitors, tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons in the Revolutionary Army, and another two had sons captured. Although few of them benefited from their bravery and most lost most everything, no one recanted his original Declaration of Independence. These men were courageous, valiant, brave, and because of them and others, we have the privilege today of being here and living in what is still the greatest country in the world. As we said today, it marks the 239th birthday of America, and we continue to be the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. We need to understand that the blessings that we enjoy are not by chance or accidental, They are blessings of God. To see the turmoil in other nations, their struggles, their revolutions, yet to see stability, blessing here in America, we ask, how has this been achieved? Was it the basis, what was the basis of American independence? John Adams said it this way, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Preserving American liberty under first depends upon us understanding the foundations upon which our country was built, and then preserving those principles upon which it was founded. Woodrow Wilson once declared, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday, does not know what it is today or what it's trying to do tomorrow. Psalm 44.1 says, we have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told you what you did in days long ago. The trouble with America is we've stopped hearing from our fathers. We've stopped remembering what God did in their lives long ago. It's amazing how quickly our allegiance can actually change. I heard this story some time ago about a woman whose husband had died, and so she sent an obituary to the newspaper that was four pages long. They called her and said, well, you need to know it's 25 cents a word, and she was outraged. I can't believe that. That's unbelievable. And so finally, she said, after she got over that initial outrage, was, all right, just say, John Doe died. And then they said, well, ma'am, there's a minimum of seven words. She was outraged again. And she said, all right, say, John Doe died, Chevy pickup for sale. It's amazing how quickly our allegiances can change. The country we live in today really doesn't resemble the country that was founded 239 years ago. It's not what was intended by our forefathers. Over a decade ago, a political science professor at the University of Houston did a research paper upon the documents that our founding fathers quoted the most. What he found was there were three authors that were quoted repeatedly, Blackstone, Montaigne, and John Locke but 16 times more often than those writers, than those three individuals, those writers quoted from the Bible. And that's really what America is about. But we ask what's happened in this generation? What's happened is we've told God we don't need the Bible, we don't need the church, we don't need God running our nation, our schools, and sadly, even our homes. Officially, we told God in 1962, We don't need you. Let me explain that to you. In 1962, a simple prayer was uttered every morning at the beginning of the school day. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee. We beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Very simple, very straightforward. What's significant about that prayer is that it was a very simple prayer. It only acknowledges God one time. It doesn't even mention the name of Jesus. Yet on June 25th, 1962, the case of Engel versus Vitale was ruled by the Supreme Court and they declared this prayer had to be removed from public schools. Despite the fact that our own Declaration of Independence mentions God on four separate occasions. But based on the decision of the Supreme Court, Prayer was, in fact, removed from our public schools. Hosea chapter 8 verse 7 says these words, They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The question we have to ask ourselves today is, What are we reaping as a result of our sowing? What are we reaping as a result of that one decision? What is the price we're paying? Notice with me, in that prayer there were four areas that were mentioned. I want you to consider that four areas of blessing were prayed for each time that prayer was uttered. It dealt with our youth, it dealt with our families, it dealt with our education, and it dealt with our nation. So let's talk for just a moment and think about what's happened in those four areas since 1962. First and foremost, prior to 1962, teen pregnancy had remained relatively stable. Yet in every year following the court's decision in 1962, unwed teen pregnancy has increased. Unwed pregnancy has gone up by as much as 553% in girls under 14 years of age. Sexually transmitted diseases were extremely rare and very uncommon in 1962. But since that time, they have spiked over 220%. Premarital sex had been on the decline before the removal of those religious prayers from our schools. And since that time, it's increased by 271%. In one group alone, 15-year-olds, it spiked over 1,000%. In every measurable moral area, the level of participation in sin has increased dramatically since 1962. You say, well, aren't there other influences involved? Of course there are. There's the influence of Hollywood. There's the influence of the internet, cultural changes, the transient nature of our families today. But when you look back, they all find their roots in 1962. It's interesting to me that these factors that I've just quoted to you did not occur in 1932 or 42 or 52, but after we removed prayer from schools in 1962. You see, I believe it's because at that point we told God, we don't need you anymore. And God said, okay. See, Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments so it might go well with them and their children forever. Did you hear what the Word said? That their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments so that it might go well with them and their children forever. The question is, have our children suffered since prayer was removed from school? I think every one of us have to say yes beyond a shadow of a doubt. We see the effects. In every single measurable moral issue, we see the effects. The second area that prayer addressed was our families. Think about it with me. Prior to 1962, divorce was actually declining from 1948 to 1962. But when we told God, we don't want you here anymore, beginning in 1963, for the first time, the divorce rate began to climb. Since that time, single-parent families have risen over 140%. One-third of all babies born today are born out of wedlock. Prior to 1962, that number was around 4%. The amazing thing is that each of these statistics were stable or declining prior to the courts removing this prayer from our school systems. Since that time, every single moral sin has been on the rise. First Samuel twelve fifteen says, If you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against His commands, His hand will be against you. A very somber warning. The third thing this prayer dealt with was our schools. We ask God's blessing on our schools. What's happened since that prayer was removed? In deciding that, let's look at what nation education was like prior to. When our nation was founded, the New England Primer was the first textbook that everyone learned to read from. It was introduced in Boston in 1690, and for the next 210 years, it was the textbook of our schools. If you went to school in America, you learned to read from the New England Primer. And when you look at it and realize it, you realize it's a very simple book that simply teaches the alphabet, and after you learn the ABCs, then it put a sentence to each letter of the alphabet, so that students begin to learn to read. And they memorize these phrases in our public schools. Listen, that. it'll be on the screen. The letter A, this is the sentence they learn. A wise son maketh a glad father, but the foolish son is the heaviness of his mother, pardon me. The letter B, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. The letter C, come unto Christ, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest. And on and on it goes through the entirety of the alphabet. Every one of the letters of the alphabet were preceded by Bible verse that every student was required to memorize. For over 200 years, this was the norm in education. How far have we regressed? Without the blessing of God, with an increase of disobedience and lack of respect, also comes a lack of learning. And I want to pause right now and I want to applaud every public school teacher. I I honor you because you have chosen to stay on the front lines. You have chosen not to desert the battlefield, but you have chosen to be an influence for good in a culture that is contrary to God. Yes, every, would you right now, if you're a public school teacher, would you stand and let us honor you? If you are now, if you have been currently, stand. Let us honor you, a public school teacher. Come on, show them your appreciation this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for laboring in that place where we so desperately need a Christian witness. The fourth area that this prayer addressed is our nation. What happened in our nation when religious principles, Christian principles, were taken from public arenas? Violent crime had remained stable for years prior to 1962. But since that time, it's increased over 800%. Violent crime is actually growing faster than our population. We have more people in prison than any other nation in the world. In 1962, America became number one in violent crime and divorce and voluntary abortion in illegal drug use in the Western world. Teenage pregnancy and illiteracy also began to rise at that period in time. And when we call when we call for more jails and more juvenile detention centers, the reality is it's not going to work. Because we're fighting a spiritual battle. And until we reach the youth of our nation, the people of our nation, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, until we invite God back into our hearts, back into our lives, back into our homes, back into our schools, back into our government, nothing is going to change fighting a losing battle. You see, Christianity really doesn't stop crime. It rather changes the heart, and crime, because it comes out of the heart, ends because of that change in hearts. Don't misunderstand me. Religion can't change anything, but the power of Jesus Christ through the cross and by his resurrection can change everything and anyone if we will but call on him again. You see, if we don't address the heart issue, we'll never address the issues that are so rampant in our society. Christian teachings and principles are essential to see a turn in our society and a turn in our nation, calling men and women back to God. So we sit here this morning and we have options. So many believers have chosen just to simply wring their hands in desperation. Oh, I remember when things were so much different and so much better. I remember when America had a different face and a different look and a different direction. Rather than coming to the throne of God with the power of intercessory prayer, we simply moan and groan and complain. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to shut its mouth and to lift its eyes and begin calling on the God of the heavens once again to visit us in America, to revive us as a church and as a nation. See, so often we've been told it's okay for you to be Christians as long as you do it inside your four walls. Don't bring it to the workplace. Don't bring it to the marketplace. Don't bring it to the social theater. But I've come to tell you today I'm looking for an army. I'm looking for an army of believers who will no longer lay down, who will no longer be silent, who will no longer give up, but will stand to their feet and say, We are the army of God. We have the word of life. We know what will change change men and women, and we will not be silent. We will be the church of Jesus Christ, for it is the only answer to our world today. Throughout history, men and women have risen to be voices into America. Men and women have risen to speak truth into America, to bring direction to our nation. And I want you to hear from one of those voices today, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up to its true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin. But by the content of their character. Once again, our nation is being torn apart (laughs) by racism. Can I tell you that is nothing more than an attack of the enemy. You and I in the church of Jesus Christ need to recognize you may be black, I may be white, I may be Native American, you may be uh, Asian American, it doesn't really matter your roots or the color of your skin. What matters is are you under the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you knelt, knelt, knelt at the cross of Jesus Christ? For you see, at the cross, I don't care what the media tells you, at the cross, we are all equal. There is no race. There is no color. There is no segregation in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I have come today to challenge this church to stand up in this community and say we will not tolerate nor be a part of any racial incidents or racial violence we are going to stand for the cross of Jesus Christ because all men according to our Bill of Rights are created equal that's a statement birthed in the heart of God every one of us need to breathe that in We need to settle that in our spirit that we are all created equal. And when we come through the blood of Jesus Christ, oh, hear me, we're no longer black and white, Asian or Hispanic, but we are blood-bought, born again, children of the Most High God. Royal blood flows through our veins. We name the name of the same Savior. We have the same Father. Jesus Christ is our brother and our destiny is the same for every one of us. It's time for us to come back once again and remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Is there any hope for America? The only hope for America is for the church once again to become the church of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen through political pundits. It's not going to happen through politicians. It will only occur when the church chooses to rise up and be the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we have bought the lie of separation of church and state. Can I tell you, that wasn't the teaching of the founding fathers. The founding fathers didn't intend to keep the church out of government. They intended to keep the government out of the church. That's why the pilgrims came to America to escape religious persecution, to find a place where they could worship God freely and openly as they desired and as their conscience dictated need to understand that the current view of separation of church and state is not either a biblical teaching, nor is it a teaching from our Bill of Rights or from our Constitution. It's okay, they say, for Christians to be salt and light as long as you do it within the walls of the church and the confines of your own home. But you can't do it out there. Can I tell you that is absolutely opposed to the word of the living God because the word says, Go ye into all the world and make disciples. You can't do that sitting in these four walls. You can't do that in the seclusion of your own home. It's time to take Jesus to the world. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? It's time for the church to stand up. America has survived 239 years, but I've got news for you. It will not survive too much longer if there isn't a change first in the church and then in our culture. People today are praying for revival in America. Narrow that down. Pray for revival in the church of Jesus Christ. Pray that men and women of God will once again burn with a fire and with a passion that will not allow them to keep their mouths silent regardless of where they are. Oh, can I tell you today, you have the words of everlasting life. You contain the gospel of Jesus within you. Take it to the world. The church cannot isolate itself, and the church must take a stand. It's absolutely hypocritical, listen to me, hypocritical, to get mad, yell, and scream about what the government is doing, removing God and prayer from the schools, all the decisions of the Supreme Court, when we have voluntarily removed God from our homes. I told you this last week, it's time to break out the word, to dust off the cover, to open the sacred pages, and once again, find words of life and direction and guidance that will speak into the heart of your home and of your family. Young people, I'm speaking to you here today, and if you want to do something great, if you want to do something mighty, if you want to do something significant, stand up for God. Maybe He'll call you to be a pastor or a missionary. But maybe even more so today, He will call you to be a politician, or an attorney, or a judge, or a school teacher, or a school superintendent, taking light to a darkened world. Let God guide and direct your lives from this day forward. It's time to take back the areas that have been given over to an ungodly culture. And it's time to bring Jesus Christ back once again into our city. We're going to be doing it again on July 18th. We're going to be prayer walking with our city founder fathers. The mayor has asked us to come to be a force of intervention between the violence in Tallahassee. He recognizes the only answer is not more policing, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to join with me. Make it a point. Be involved. Plug in and let God use you. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church, located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.